Welcome to Nairobi Chapel Embakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. And I would like us to head into the book of Luke, chapter number 8. Luke, chapter number 8, verse number 4. It's a common verse, it's a common parable that we are all known for. One of the difficult things to preach about is the parables, or rather the gospels. It's one of the, they say it's one of the difficult uh, places to preach about because context matters. When you look at the book of Luke, they say that after everything happened from the book of Luke, it took close to 40 years before it was written down. So you can imagine when it happened, and when it was written, a lot had happened in between. So that is why when you read the gospel, they, are, they, are, they, have, they tend to be similar, but at the same time, details are quite different. Amen. Luke chapter number 8, verse number 4. We all know the story, so I'll read it quite fast. I'm reading from King James Version. And the Bible says, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him, out of every city he spoke a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit and hundredfold. Some versions will tell you thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but not, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and a good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. No man, when he hath lit a candle, cover it with a vessel, or put it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, and they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. 
Take heed therefore how you hear, for whosoever, whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Bless us, Lord, moving us through us and for us. Give us clarity and precision even as we get into the mysteries of your word. May your hearts, O oh Lord Jesus, remain to be good recipients of what you are about to tell us. In Jesus' name we pray. A story is told about a man who had a wreckage and as he was moving and crossing the ocean to the other end, they had a wreckage in, in the middle of it. So when he had a wreckage, he had to swim all the way to a certain island. And when he moved to this island, he noticed he found a man who was reading the Bible. And as he was reading the Bible, he was seated there and there was a pot that was boiling very, very severely. And uh, only to realize when he saw this man reading the Bible, he told him, why do you read that thing that seems to be it changes, it, it, it is said that it changes people, yet it doesn't change. I think probably he was an atheist or a pagan, maybe. I don't know. But he said that book is read by most people and they tend to believe that it changes them, but it doesn't. And it does never, and it will never change. And so the guy who was reading it, he looked at the guy, very, he was soaked in water. Looking very tired, he looked at the guy and he said, the reason why you are still standing, it's because of this book. Only for the guy to realize later, this island, people eat people. And he said, the reason you are still standing, it's because I have read something here that tells me it's wrong to do what we do here on this island. And that's how the guy was saved. And he got to understand the Bible does change people. The book of Luke is one that is very interesting. Remember, Luke was a doctor. And he moved quite many times with Jesus. And this story, he's telling it to one who is called Theophilus. Theophilus simply means one who is loved. So... You notice when you read the book of Luke, if you read Luke and you read Acts, you'll notice that Acts is a continuation of Luke because it's the same book written by the same person, but a continuation to the same person who is called Theophilus. And it has a lot. It's a parable that is, has a lot that is embedded in it. And most times the, the, the philosophers, the theologians, they kind of like call it the parable of the soils. The most important issue, they say it's not the seed. The important thing was the soil. And the whole, if you read the whole book of eight, the eighth chapter of Luke, you will notice that it is entirely revealing or elaborating the will of God for mankind. The will of God for mankind. And it brings to our attention the beauty of God's kindness. My sermon title today 
is called God's daring kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is when you loan somebody your strength. That is kindness. When you loan somebody your strength and you trade in, they trade in their weakness. That is where you cannot repay kindness. I always tell my sister, most times when we talk, I always tell her that, you know what? When you buy somebody lunch and they didn't have food, they never had food, and you bought them lunch or you did something for them that required you to give money, remember, you didn't, you didn't buy them food. No, 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 no. It's not food you bought them. It's a moment that you helped someone in their lives. They may repay you back, but they cannot give back the moment. Is it making any sense? They may give back the money. They may give back what you loaned them, but they will never give back the moment. That is why gratitude goes way deeper. It's the moment. It's not what you gave. It's the moment that you help them. So God's daring kindness. Kindness for me, as I, I would say it like Andy Stanley says it, it is loaning somebody your strength as they trade in their weakness. And so when we read Luke chapter 8 verse 4 to 15, we notice that he breaks down the parable to help us understand God's heart concerning his children. Now one thing I would like us to understand is that before I break it down from how uh, Luke breaks it down for us, it is important to understand that when Adam fell, I'm sorry guys, I'm getting back to into theological, but I'm helping us understand Luke. Amen. That is why from that point we realize that what God is doing from Genesis is restoring us back to the people we are supposed to be. That is why Jesus comes back. Why? He's considered as the second Adam. Genesis says that he was, the, Hebrew says that he was the first Adam who fell. Now this is the second, Paul says he's the second Adam who comes to bring back, to bring us back. That is why everybody in the Bible had to have a fault. David is coming through, he's called a man after their own heart, but he's still a womanizer. He's having these many ladies, sleeping with many people, many ladies, and at the same time, he's called a man after God's heart. There's a fault in him. Nobody can do what Jesus had to come and do. That is why he was called a man without sin. So we go deeper to understand that all this, from, from verse 5 when he says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Through this verse, we can all depict that the will of God to extend his endeavoring master plan to cause his creation to manifest his power and might. He moves from that dimension to bring us to understand that when this sower went out to sow his seed, some fell by the wayside and they were trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. For me, I look at it that this is God's creation. He created it with his words. He created it and he said stuff about it. But now there has to be something that has to be done for this world to become what he intended it to be. It is God's decoration. He decorates everything. When you look at it from this aspect and 
I look at it from this perspective according to me that Jesus leaves heaven, he comes on earth as a seed, he dies in this world as a seed, and then when he rises up, he does not come out alone. When he rises up, he rises up with a horde of champions, people who had died in sins, people who had died and they had no destination after their death, he rises up with a great thing. That is why it is always said that when you always sow a seed, it never comes back alone, isn't it? When you sow a seed in the shamba, in the garden, it never comes back alone. That's why when you sow bad seeds, expect a huge harvest. When you sow a harvest, as you sow a seed of this, that, this, and that, expect a harvest. And we all know that a harvest doesn't come alone. It comes greatly, isn't it? And so most times where we go wrong is that when we notice the harvest we are receiving is not what we would want. What we constantly do is that we are asking God for a miracle that is going to do away with the harvest. But we all know the harvest must be taken out first before we get another harvest, isn't it? So we have to go back to the ground and sow different seeds. Verse 6 to 7 it says, And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up with it and choked it. He talks about the problem. He talks about the argument. And he's bringing us to understand that in us, God is building in us a lasting, inhabitable house for the Holy Spirit. He's building in us a lasting, inhabitable house for the Holy Spirit. Now, when we are in the process of being sown and we are dealing with one of the things in this world and this and that and this, it is important even as the night comes, it is important that we trust the character of God. It is important that you trust the character of God because if you do not trust the character of God, then you do not have the confidence and the tenacity to ride through disappointments. It is the character of God that we trust. I trust he won't fail me. I trust. And even when it looks that I have failed, he will have a reason as to why it had to turn out in this way. The character of God, the attribute of God, these are the ones that God wants us to trust in. Trust me that I will not fail you. Trust me that I've got it all figured out for you. Trust me that everything will work out for your good. Trust the character of God. And one of it is that every spirit, the Bible says that God, there is seven spirits of God, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of God, the spirit of knowledge, they are all in the book of Isaiah chapter 11. And it says that every spirit of God will always look for an expression. Every spirit of God, be it understanding, it looks for expression. And those people who are supposed to express the will of God, it's us. That is why we notice he says that, and those that failed on this, something came in from verse 6 to 7, and it ate them up, and they could not. The spirit of God will always look for expression. Have you ever noticed that even when it is nighttime, and, and when I talk about nighttime, I'm talking about the times when you feel your idea 
your profession, your gift is going through a night time because everything on this earth, be it you, be it an idea, any expression of God will have to go through a night time and a daytime. A night time is when you do not understand stuff. A night time is when you feel anxious. A night time is when you don't feel like you even trust God. A night time is when everything is falling away. That's a night time. And I was perusing through my scriptures and I, I realized when we talk about uh, this guy Jacob wrestling with an angel, we, it is said that he was uh, what, what we call men who are in form of, they are in form of men, but they are angels. It is, it is we, you look at it and you notice in reality, it is not Joseph, I mean Jacob who was wrestling the angel. It was the angel wrestling with the man because it is during nighttime that God gives us dreams. It is nighttime that we get inspirations. It is nighttime that we get to understand, even your body knows that you need to rest for you to grow. You need to rest for you to think. You need to rest for you. Your body gives you warnings. It gives you those bells and tells you, can you sleep? I need to work. You've worked the whole day. Now you need to rest. I need to work. Digestion tells you, sleep. I need to work. Give it a rest. Don't watch movies all night. Don't do that. Let me do this. And during these times, even when we feel like giving up, when the enemy is always whispering to us about giving up, one thing the enemy never whispers to you is about the timing of God. There is no way the enemy will ever tell you about the timing of God. He will tell you how God is late. He will give you ideas. Remember, remember that every spirit is looking for what? Expression. So when we look at it from that perspective, even the enemy wants to express frustration. Even the enemy wants to express anger. Even the enemy wants to express bitterness. And at the end of the day, it is a seed that he wants sown. Amen. And he never tells us about the timing of God. He simply tries to provoke us to jealousy, anxiety, and bitterness during a night time. For every gift, for every idea, for every strategy, there is a night. And what is expected of us is that we need to be able to manage our time. Remember our verse from 6 to 7. It says, And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Verse 7 says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up with it and choked it. The fact is that all of these seeds are growing. They are all growing. That's the baseline. They are all growing. Whether it's on a thorn, it's growing. But when it tried to come up, there were thorns that choked it. So we notice that at the end of the day, what is being fought is not you growing, is the fruits that are being fought. It is the fruits. Growing, you can't. But bearing fruits is what the enemy is fighting, is what the enemy is after. 
So what we are required to do and what the Bible is simply telling us is that for your gift, for your idea, for everything that God has put inside of you, you must be able to manage your night time. Be able to manage those times when you are being choked. Be able to manage them because this night time is when you have to realize what are your appetites. What are those that are called secret sins? Because the day is waiting for the manifestation of what happened throughout the night. When you couldn't trace anything, that's the time that God has been setting up for you. And I realize that sometimes God will leave us in the dark. Mm -hmm. Sometimes God will leave us in the dark so that we can trust ourselves, but not in ourselves. He expects us to trust in him, but he expects you to trust yourself. And the question begs it. Do you, can God trust you with a night time? Can God trust you? Can God trust you when things are not going okay? When nobody is seeing you, can you still live out your salvation? Can you still trust him when you don't see ahead? Those are the night times that God wants to trust you with. When everything looks like you're being bombarded by everything, these are the times because there is a timeline and a trajectory for every person's breakthrough. There is a timeline. There is a trajectory. And you cannot dictate the times in which you want God to work. He works because he is the sovereign king. He does it when he wants it how he wants it and however he will want it done because at the end of the day it is for his glory and for our joy not for our glory and for his joy no it is for his glory and for our joy amen we have to understand so darkness timelines all these things that are difficult for us they are always there for us to see with faith and not with vision they are there for us to see with faith when nothing else. The question is, when you switch off your lights, in, leave the bedroom, you know the bedroom where it is. But in the sitting room, in the dining table, can you trust yourself? Do you trust yourself when you have switched off the lights? And so in these times of darkness, we are supposed to see with faith and not with vision. And vision, I mean your sight. And this is when we find our blueprint and to be able to see with correct perspective when the day comes. Verse 8 in my third breakdown, the Bible says, And others fell on good ground and sprang up, and they bear fruit a hundredfold. If you go to Mark, it says 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. But from this aspect, from verse 8, what I see, I see a narrative revealed here. And there is the narrative of spirituality, there is a narrative of the natural, and there is a narrative of the earthly. Notice when this guy, the sower, is sowing these seeds, he sows without prejudice. He sows without prejudice. That is the poor, the rich, the wise, or the foolish. Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to die for everybody. Whether you are a fool, whether you are, however you look like, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And I realize it's not that God does not fight for us. The thing is, is that we don't 
fight for what God did for us. That's where we fail. And from this aspect, I had to sit down and understand what is God saying concerning the ground. And I realized that it is the mind. Our mind is the soil. And our minds, I mean the soul, because your soul is your mind. That's the place where everything about your life, how you think. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, your belief controls your behavior. The way you behave, it's as a result of how you believe. How you believe, it's how you behave. You believe this is like this, this is like that, that's how you're going to behave. And so, our souls are the ones that causes the seeds that God has planted in us to perish. And when we are in these times, when things seem to be very, very, very difficult, our souls are the places where everything happens, our souls. And how do we help our souls become better recipients of the word of God? How does, it, how does that happen? This is how it happens. Our trust in God grows when we study the track record of God. That's how our trust in God grows. When we study his track record, what he did, what he's doing, and we can always depend on what he said he's going to do. We can always depend on that. And our confidence in God grows when we obey. Our confidence grows in God when we obey. Because God does not teach, and I repeat this, God does not teach with intelligence. No. God teaches with obedience. You can be as intelligent as you are, you can be as wise as you are, but if you do not obey, God can never teach you. It is obedience that causes God to teach us. It is obedience. God teaches through obedience. And lastly, in my last breakdown, is that God's kingdom technology will always invite us all to be part of that fulfilling journey. The, the third part was the everlasting purpose where he fell on good ground, sprung up, and bare fruit a hundredfold. Remember we say that the plan is that we don't bear fruits. That's the plan, that we do not bear fruits. Verse, and verse 9 to 14, when he's now explaining that parable, I took it together and I called it, I, I, I just tagged it that God's kingdom technology will always invite us to be part of this everlasting journey. So how do we receive God? How do we receive the word of God? Because the word of God is the perfect and the standard measurement. We receive the word of God through our response. How do you respond to the word of God? We have records of people who, of one guy who was, who was made dumb because he never received the word of God well. The father of John the Baptist, the Bible says, when he was doing the priestly work and he was told you're going to get a son in the near future and the dude was astonished like what do you mean old and stricken in age and he was astonished and the angel said you're never going to speak until he's born i can imagine how he came out and telling people that god is able would you be able to tell god god is able he made you down until when you'll see the miracle one of the factors that we notice from these scriptures is that, do you notice that the parables was being spoken to multitudes, but the explanations were being done to 
to the disciples. He speaks to the multitudes about the parables, but the explanations, he brings them to the disciples. Disciplined people. It is a clear understanding that God purposes to enlighten those who have faith in him, faith in him, and also choose to believe in him. He wants us to understand that even the opposition of the enemies of the kingdom and in spite of the moral failure that the kingdom of God will always succeed. So what did he mean when he talks about the wayside? Who are the wayside that people walked on and the fowl of the air took the seed? This, the wayside, I explained it this way. The wayside is a mind that is trodden and hardened by the continual passage of evil thoughts. You are hardened. Your heart becomes very difficult to even heed the word of God. How about the rock? The ones that fell on the rock. This is the hardness of the self-willed mind. Self-will. It's the rock. Self-will. Like, they have to work my way. Self-will. It's you believe in yourself. You trust in yourself. Not trusting yourself. You trust in yourself. That by your strength, all these are going to work out. By your strength, this and this is going to happen. By your strength, this is the rock. Which is the good soil? The good soil, it is the gentleness of the obedient mind. And when you lacked moisture, when even the sun came up, the heat and the ragings of persecutions, they never stopped that seed from growing. Because they were planted on a good soil. It is the gentleness of the obedient mind. Then again, I wondered the depth of the soil. Because how is it that even when they fell on the wayside, when they fell on these places where they were choked, there was still a place for them to grow. I noticed that it was the depth of the soil. And the depth of the soil is the honesty of a mind that is trained by heavenly discipline. It is the honesty of a mind that is trained by heavenly discipline and all this, there is one factor that is generalizing all of them and that is time. All of these seeds, they are growing, but time determines the fruit. Time. How are you flowing? Are you being able to manage that which God has given you? What do you have in your position right now? What's happening in your life right now? What is going on in your life right now? Would you choose the wayside, heart, the rock, or the good soil? One, finally, it says, I noticed that all this you threw, notice that through all this, even as we are growing in the word and growing with God, in God, and through God, Jesus Christ remains to be the means of change. The means of change and the goal of change. Now, under Paul says, I focus on that which is ahead of me. I forget the past. The goal of change. But as even I'm looking at the goal, I need him to be the means of change. So we believe in the gospel that changes our heart's responses. And when we talk about Jesus being the goal of change, he's displaying his character in the model of maturity 
which we strive for to become. My fight remains to be me remaining faithful. That's my fight. There is no other fight that is required of me. I am required to be faithful at all times. Even when I am faithless, God remains to be faithful. And so my fight is to be available. And so bringing it to a close, even as he says in the whole book, the whole chapter, you notice from verse 15 going downwards, he talks about the candle being the light. And before that, he tells them about the woman who had the issue, who was found in adultery, remember? And when he wrote down, when they came to him, they said, hey, master, this lady was caught in what? Adultery, isn't it? And when he was caught in adultery, Jesus went on the ground because the rule of the law is that when you're found in adultery, what happens? You're stoned, isn't it? So Jesus goes down to fulfill the law. He said, guys, to fulfill the law, when a priest, that happened, when a priest, when somebody was caught in adultery, according to Mosaic laws, when you are found in adultery, so that the priest can certify you are found in that act. So before they stone you, it was the work of a priest to go down on his knees and write the sin. So this is where you find Jesus had to go down and he wrote down the sin. And he stood up. And because he's coming with a new dispensation of grace, he comes and says, let each one of you, anyone who is without sin, be the first to cast the stone. And the Bible says they all left. And that's how that lady was told, go and sin no more. We notice that's the beginning. Chapter 7, it begins from that. Chapter 8, it talks about the seed sowing. And then from verse 15 going forward, it talks about the candle. So we notice all of these people, Jesus is addressing us being, having a character of God in the way we think, how we desire, and how we act. Having the character of God. And so when we do this, even the church by itself, we look like the people we follow. We look like the person we are following. We look like the God we are following. So we reflect his love, his holiness, and we display his glory. And as a church, we look like him, even as we listen to him. So God wants us to have healthy souls so that we can be able to see clearly and hear him clearly. Our fight is to remain faithful. Join us every Sunday from 11 a.m. at Trubani House off Airport North Road. Have a blessed week.